welcome to another episode of Not So Gentle Reminder. I am Dr. Christina, a board-certified pediatric emergency medicine doc. I'm Dr. Vicki, a board-certified neonatal intensivist. And we are friends and pediatricians who survived our training to become skilled but salty physicians. And we're excited to share with you our evidence-based take on important pediatric topics. This is our second medical episode in our fever series, we have a very special guest, Dr. Matthew Grossman, who is going to help us discuss why we take fevers in babies a lot more seriously. We had a really long discussion with him, so we are actually splitting this episode into two. Hopefully you guys have already heard about how little we fret about fever in episode one. If not, please go back and take a look. We care if you're febrile or not meaning above 38 degrees Celsius, and we care if you look like crapola, but otherwise the height of the fever doesn't really matter, and the fact that you have a fever also doesn't really matter. For the most part, we aren't really scared of fever at all, except for in babies. And just to be clear, when we say babies, although your kitten, your puppy, your 18-year-old, potentially even your 36-year-old is your baby forever, the kind of babies that we're going to be talking about today are those that are under 60 days old. We've been talking about this super special population, and we have a very special guest joining us today, Dr. Matthew Grossman, who is here to talk about why this gives us palpitations and why we go crazy when it comes to fevers in babies. Matt Grossman is an associate professor of pediatrics at the Yale School of Medicine, the quality and safety officer at the Yale New Haven Children's Hospital since 2013, and the vice chair of quality for the Department of Pediatrics since 2017. He is a fancy pants who is nationally renowned for his groundbreaking quality improvement work on neonatal abstinence syndrome, and he's and his team have won numerous awards and honors for his work in quality improvement. On a personal level, he is the proud new parent of a pooper spaniel named Rosie, who is the guest that we'll be trying to book after this episode for her own show, and an avid sports fan, which I'm going to try not to hold too much against him, but will contribute to the general salt content. We have to mention that he also managed to put up with Dr. Vicky at her most special during residency training. If you do want to take a look at his really impressive looking academic pedigree and see his smiling face at its most professional, we will include both in the show notes. He joins us to talk today about another area of his vast expertise, which is the febrile infant, or to tell us why babies under 60 days with fevers are so special and historically have been a source of a lot of worry and controversy. So Dr. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to have you. We're excited that you put up with us during training and are continuing inexplicably, really, since you're no longer contractually bound to do so. Thank you. Let's start by talking a little bit about what makes babies so special. I know why they're special to me. I prefer no other patients. But why do we think babies are such an important category to conceptualize separately? Do they not have immune systems? Is it that they're too adorable? Is it that they're really crummy at making useful sentences about what's going on with them? Why are they such a special class? Uh, well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. It's it's great to be here. And it was wonderful to work with you during your training, both of you. And for it to end, um, right? You know, maybe. We'll pay you later. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you were more cheerful than others, but I'll let the audience guess. So yes, fever in babies is, is a big deal, although it's not really the fever. We always talk about being scared of the, the fever and being worried about the fever. It's the, the fever is the body's response to an infection. So it's not the fever that we're worried about. It's the infection. It's kind of like 
the the story of the canary in the coal mine miners used to bring canaries into the mines because when their carbon monoxide built up then the canaries would die first and you knew to get out of there and so it, saying that we have a problem with fever is kind of like saying we have a problem with canaries dying the, the problem isn't isn't the, the sign that there's a problem it's the actual problem and the problem with babies with fevers is that they have infections fevers are caused by a, a number of things in adults mostly infections but also there can be autoimmune things and there can be cancers and things like that in babies it's pretty much infections so it means that they have an infection and an infection can be a big deal in babies and so why is it such a big deal in babies which was your actual question uh is because as you mentioned they don't have much of an immune system so there's tons of different facets to immune system and none of them work all that well in a baby. So they're essentially coming out immune compromised. Now that improves uh, from birth sort of consistently up to about six months when they have a pretty good immune system at that point, but it keeps improving as they go along. So that's one of the issues is that something that wouldn't cause an infection in somebody older can cause a serious infection in babies this age. The other thing is, is they don't tell you a whole lot. Babies are not if you ever met a baby, they're not that chatty. They don't do very much. So you, it's hard to tell what's wrong with them. It's even often hard to tell that they're sick. Sometimes they can be pretty seriously sick and look pretty much fine right up until they don't. So it's that combination of really getting little information from the baby and the fact that they have, the, they have this lousy immune system and that they often don't get worse steadily. They get worse all of a sudden where they will go along and then fall off a cliff when they get sick. So that is, those are sort of the three main reasons that babies are a big concern with infections. What an inconsiderate patient population. It is your patient population. I think you precisely <laughs> described it. Also the reasons why Dr. Vicky likes that patient population what wrapped up into that explanation. They don't they talk. They don't talk, yes. <laughs> But it also just reminds me of being in medical school. I feel like everyone told me fear babies and fear old people because they're the ones that are like extra sneaky about their precipitous illnesses because so much of it is really nonspecific symptoms, some of which will just be that fever and the hyperthermia or hypothermia in a low temperature can also be a sign. And I think the, the big thing here that we are really emphasizing is the infection. And what happens if we miss that infection? What kinds of infections are we talking about here specifically in this age group? So there's two major categories of infections that, that kids can get. There is a viral infection and a bacterial infection. And that's really it. And so most of these are going to be viral infections, almost 90%, and the rest are going to be bacterial. And the way that we treat them is actually similar. The, what we're going to do for anybody who comes in with an infection is to support the baby, make sure that their breathing is okay, that they are well hydrated, that everything is going okay. And then the only difference between a viral and a bacterial one basically is with a bacterial one, you're also going to get a bunch of antibiotics because that's what's gonna kill the bacteria. With a virus, we don't really have much, with the exception of, of maybe one virus, babies HSV that we have a medication for. Otherwise, the, you just have to get over it yourself and we're gonna support the baby until the baby gets through it, if, if the baby needs any support, which often they don't. And I think we talked a little bit about the different types of infections, where they can be, and what part of the body potentially can be infected, some of which are obvious and a little bit less obvious. Those less obvious ones that we think about are which ones? Really, w w with babies, they can have an infection anywhere. They can have skin infections. They can have 
diarrheal infections. They can all these things, but most of them you can sort of tell from either the story, they've been having diarrhea, or from your exam, you can see the skin infection, you can see they have conjunctivitis, they have red, red goopy eyes. But there's really three infections that getting a story or getting or your exam aren't going to help that much. And those are urinary tract infection. The signs of a urinary tract infection are things like incontinence and having an urgency to go going frequently, which are all things that, you know, babies do every day. So that doesn't help you very much. So that's the first one, a urinary tract infection. The second is an infection in the blood or bacteremia. Emia means in the blood. So bacteria in the blood, which just sort of makes you sick. And the third one is meningitis. As you get older, when you get meningitis, you end up with a stiff neck and it hurts to move your head and all that kind of stuff. And that can happen at this age, but often you really don't see many of the signs until very late. So those three, your exam is going to kind of fail you. So those are the ones we're really looking for once we get, once we get a normal exam. These roughly are all categorized as serious bacterial infections or the invasive bacterial infections if you're actually reading the primary literature. And if you're a numbers person, I'm very much a numbers person, and you find comfort in percentages, the risk in numbers from what we have most recently studied, a number of big research working groups have looked at this is for all comers of those serious bacterial infections, UTI, bacteremia, or meningitis, under the age of 60 days, it's about 9.3%. UTIs are the vast majority here. It's a little over 8%. Bacteremia considerably lower at 1.4%, and then meningitis at 0.9%. But again, percentages are just numbers. And if you are the lucky winner of a baby under 60 days who has a fever, that we now know can mean a lot of different things in terms of what we're going to do and how worried we're going to be in the emergency room or at the pediatrician's office or wherever you come. Yeah. The other important thing about uh, those three types of infections is we group them together. And again, the reason we group them together is because we can't figure it out without doing testing, but they are not equal. There's two of those infections of the three that are really dangerous and if untreated can lead to serious illness and, and death. And those are the bacteremia and the meningitis. The the urinary tract infection is a bacterial infection. It's important to treat it, but it's much less of an emergency. Now, if they go untreated, they can lead to uh, bacteremia or or, or bacteria in the blood and a much more serious infection, but they are not equal. They are only grouped together because we need to test to find them rather than because of their severity. It's the bacteremia and the meningitis, which are the really, really serious ones. So if babies are just sitting ducks with their crummy immune systems for these bacteria (laughs) infections. And all you can do is use your eyeball for so many of them, but not these extremely serious ones. If I were to take home a brand new baby, I would also try to steal as many nurses and hospitalists and emergency medicine doctors as I could to make sure that they were checking these compartments all the time. And that's checking the mine, I suppose. I would also try to check for that canary as well. Do you think it's reasonable for parents to, number one, get a bunch of canaries and number two, start checking around in every possible (laughs) organ all the time and checking fevers constantly? Because that to me seems to follow. If they're not going to volunteer the information, let's get it out of them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, canaries, I don't think make great pets. So I would not go that direction. But have you tried though? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I used to work with canaries actually in a in a previous life. So in a coal mine, (laughs) not in a coal mine, but (laughs) but I actually sadly have spent time with canaries. They're not that great. Um, so, 
<laughs> All right. Well, as long as it's an evidence-informed yeah. opinion, I'm not going to. We agree with your N of one. Anecdotal evidence is strong. So I don't think that's the answer. <laughs> uh, and and I think, you know, most babies uh, when they're young do not get sick. It's important to look for the signs of being sick if they are apparent, but not to be, you should be taking your baby's temperature every day. But if their baby is not acting normally, and again, there's not that much they're supposed to do. They're supposed to eat. They're supposed to sleep. They're supposed to poop and pee. Uh, they're supposed to wake up. If they're not doing those things, then that might be a sign that they're sick. And then you can look and see if their temperature is high or low, which is much less common, but also another sign of an infection. And, and that's what we're looking for with the fever is a sign of an infection. They may be sleepier just because they're sleepier, but that also might be a sign of an infection. But the, the uh, fever is a really, really good sign of infection. So that's the time to look for it. It's not a time to look for it just every day to take your, your, your kid's temperature. You want to look and see some, when you think something's wrong or your baby feels warm. Often, the temperature going up by uh, two degrees makes a dramatic difference in how the baby feels. The baby feels much, much warmer. And, and there are studies showing that, that moms are really good at telling when babies have a fever, which in my own experience was, that it was pretty obvious. I also think there's some good studies about parents intuiting about serious infections as well in this population, because you are, in some ways, the person who knows the habits of your baby that doesn't do a whole lot otherwise. Um, and I think information that parents can provide when there is a drop off in the feeding, the sleeping, the way they're waking up when you're changing diapers, things that seem very basic and straightforward. But I think it bears repeating that you don't have to drive yourself crazy checking a temperature all day, every day, because checking those rectal temperatures are everyone's favorite activity with their brand new baby. But I think realizing that they're going to do all of their jobs pretty well and by and large avoid infections. But when they don't, usually parents can be cued into when they should be looking for it. So despite their being quite uncooperative and bad articulators of when they have a problem. If parents do end up checking for fever and suspecting that that's the canary of infection, what is it that we want them to do? Just give some Tylenol and some Motrin and kind of move on and hope that that takes care of things? First of all, we've been sort of bagging on babies have a lot of nice qualities too. We've only been sort of... uh, we're really been criticizing them, and I don't, I don't mean to do that. Babies are wonderful also. Let's just get that out of the way right now. But when they are sick, if they have a fever, it's not definitely not a time to give Tylenol or Motrin, which are things that will bring down a fever. But as we established, we're not actually concerned about the fever. We're concerned about what the fever represents, which is an infection, which can be dangerous and potentially life-threatening. So the answer when the baby within the first two months of life has a fever is to get to the doctor or depending where you are, the emergency room. So you can be evaluated as quickly as possible. Do not pass go. Go being go to the hospital. and Go. Yes. I do think we should probably do some expectation setting. And this is a purely selfish concept for me because I might be on the receiving end of these parents in the emergency department. We should probably go back to what is going to happen when they get to the hospital? Are the doctors going to use their magic hands? Are they going to help? What's the plan? Yeah, so, so the, the, the doctors are going to try to figure out basically two things. One, first off, is the baby okay right now? Again, we think the baby has an infection. We don't know if it's viral or bacterial, but you can get really sick with either of those. So the first thing 
is the baby okay? Do they need any support? Breathing okay? Need any fluids? Those kinds of things. Uh, so that's one. And the second part of it is going to be trying to figure out if the baby looks fine right now, do we think they're going to continue to look fine or is there something that's going to make them get worse? Which and this is really where the doctors are going to try to figure out is this, is this the, do they fall into the, the group, the 10% of kids who have a bacterial infection who are going to need the antibiotics and have a potentially more serious infection? Or are they the 90% of a viral infection who certainly can get very sick with that, but the baby in front of us right now, if they look okay, is not one of those. It actually looks okay. In terms of us doing investigating, we had already been talking about looking for a urinary tract infection, looking for bacteria in the blood, looking for bacteria floating around their precious little brains. You can intuit some of the things that we're going to be checking. Our workup has gotten a little bit more sophisticated, and Vicky, I know, is always really excited to hear about and talk about the laser beams that are involved in checking the blood. I love the laser beams. Yeah, so the, the you know the, the doctors are going to, first thing they're going to do is do a good exam, which is going to rule out all sorts of possible infections, like we'd mentioned before, like having a skin infection or having a pneumonia or something like that. Then, as we said, there's no real way for them to tell whether they have a urinary tract infection or an infection in the blood or meningitis by our exam. So then we have to basically take some sample of some fluid from those three areas. So that's that's going to be the main thing. And then we're going to we're going to take those and we're going to send them off to the lab, off to the lab, who is going to see if they can grow any back. If there's any bacteria in there, they're going to try to grow it and then and then identify it uh, for us. Or hopefully they won't grow any bacteria. So those are that's the that's sort of the gold standard. That's when we're going to know for sure whether there's a bacterial infection or not. But that's going to take some time. And some time, meaning how much time? The cultures will, they'll keep them for several days, but basically within the first day or so, you're really going to have a sense of whether any bacteria is going to grow. You know, the average time for a lot of these to grow is really in the first 12 hours or so. Some will grow faster. The fastest I think we've seen is six hours that, that we sent off that grew. The, a bunch of them can trickle in a little bit later, but usually by 24 hours, any of the ones that you are really interested in, in knowing that are actually causing an infection are going to grow in that period of time. There are a bunch that will grow as you get later out to like more like 30 or 36 hours. Uh, and those are contaminants, which actually are about as common as, as finding a real bacteria, often a little bit more common. And that is just say a contaminant. That's when the process of sticking the needle into the arm or wherever you're doing it to get blood from the baby, you, you have to go through the skin. And all of our skin has bacteria that are normally there and not causing any problem. When you go through the skin, sometimes you can scoop some of that up and it will grow in the culture. It's usually a smaller amount and it'll take a little bit longer to grow. And those aren't actually important, don't represent any kind of infection. And those, those are the ones that'll grow later, which we don't really care too much about. So really in the first 24 hours. But can you tell us about the laser yeah, beams? Yeah, and so... <laughs> so focus, if focus you... What, on the laser beam. what, yeah, focus on the laser beams. I have laser focus on this. Forget the baby. Let's yeah, forget the baby. on the laser beams. So what you may hear yeah, when you... It's really important. When you and this is where you can you can ask your doctor about the laser beams. What we were all taught when we went through medical school, and we're still hearing that now, is that you wait for forty eight hours to make sure that the the, ba the baby or whoever it is that the blood culture isn't growing any bacteria. And the reason that that, that happens is because the way that the lab uh, and, and it's it's forty eight hours. It's not forty seven hours. It's not forty nine hours. It's forty eight hours. And the reason it is that is because when the the lab gets the sample, they put it on a plate and they're trying to grow it. 
And the way they do this is one a person every 12 hours will hold the, the plate up to the light to see if anything's growing. Magic uh, eyeballs. Magic eyeballs. They'll just see. You can see it starts to look different when something's growing. So they'll do that every 12 hours. So 12 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours, 48 hours. So at 47 hours, it actually hasn't been checked since 36 hours. So that's, that's why those, those numbers, 12-hour increments, are what you're going to hear. And 48 hours, usually, if the plate wasn't looking different by 48 hours, it probably wasn't going to. Now, that is how they did it uh, up until the late 1980s. But it's, uh, we, uh, we, somehow we've missed the memo that we don't do it that way anymore. And so now what we do, and the, the technical way isn't really that important, just to know that we now use lasers instead of the person holding it up to the light. And the lasers actually... Take nothing else from this episode <laughs> right. except the lasers. And they're that, not, they're, that's the take-home point. Right. It's not the baby, it's, it's the laser. That's right. And the laser isn't reading it every 12 hours. It's reading it every 10 minutes. And so you are constantly getting this red, and it can do it much more quickly. It's much more sensitive. There has to be a very slight change. And then it'll beep, and the person running the lab will call the doctors and say there is a positive culture. And they'll run more tests over time to figure out exactly what it is. But the important thing is whether it's growing or not. That really shifted things to where we're knowing about these things a lot earlier in an average of, of 12 hours instead of in the 80s and before where it was really in 24 to 36 hours is when you were first getting your positive cultures. A lot of our institutions are very slow to shift things to not having to watch these cultures for quite so, so long a time. Uh, so really at, at Yale, if they haven't grown by 20 or 24 hours, then we assume we're not going to find anything useful in the culture, which is good. How do you decide? How do I decide what? How do you decide what to do? Whether you want to do a urine, whether you want to get the laser beams out, you fired the guy that just checks it every 12 hours. He's not. <laughs> yeah, that person doesn't that she's not. Exactly. Whoever that, that lovely person was, I hope they've got yes. like a BNB by the beach. That's on, right. or maybe they're speaking to the laser beams when the beam beeps. So, how do you decide they might what been, to they, do yeah, when you that. have a baby? Maybe it's their baby in the department. Um, but what is it That's that? Right. Yes. How do you make those decisions, whether or not you want to get urine, whether or not you want to get blood and how long you want to watch it and how worried to be? So that's a that's a great question. So if the baby looks sick, then we're going to do all those things because we know a baby who looks sick, you can look sick with a virus for sure. And you're more, still more likely to have a virus. You're always more likely to have a virus, basically, even when you look sick. But if you do look sick, the rates of having a bacterial infection are a lot higher. So what we're going to do in that situation is... We're going we're gonna to do all of those tests. The whole shebang. <laughs> yeah, the whole shebang. And we're also going to do that in the first week of life because the rates of bacterial infections are much higher. The way we think about it is you have to prove to us that you don't have a bacterial infection. And during that time, we're going to treat you like you do have a bacterial infection. So that if we found out you had one, we wouldn't really have to do anything differently. We're already treating it. So those kids who look sick and, the, and those kids in the first, in the first week, of, week, week of life we say, we're going to treat you. You come in, we're treating you like you have a bacterial infection until you prove to us that you don't. So if you go 24 hours, your cultures are all negative, uh, then we may be able to, and you're looking better. We may say, okay, good. That was false alarm. Get a virus, you're actually doing fine. And, and then we're done. And we you can go home uh, at that point. Shall we recap? Yes, let's. So we are going to sum up this medical episode about babies under 60 days of life who have fever with a few not-so-gentle reminders and practical tips. The first not-so-gentle reminder is that babies are a special class, not just because they're my favorite kind of patient, 
but because they have a really underdeveloped and vulnerable immune system. The second not so gentle reminder is that if your child has a fever and they are under 60 days, this can represent an emergency and it can be a sign of a more serious infection, an infection that could be a UTI or a urinary tract infection or bacteria in the blood or potentially bacteria in the brain and spinal fluid or meningitis, which is why we consider this class of special babies a little bit more differently. Our next not-so-gentle reminder is that although the fever is the canary for some of these more serious infections, that does not mean that you need to be looking for it all the time. Don't check just because, only if there's something else that makes you suspect or if they feel like they're boiling up to you. Finally, our last not-so-gentle reminder is that if you notice that your baby is not behaving normally and as their parent, you will know best, um, even in the short amount of time that you have spent with your baby, if you do discover a fever, you definitely need to be going to seek medical care and coming into the hospital for further evaluation. Thank you so much for listening. We would love if you subscribed and left us a five-star review. We do want this to be helpful for you, so we are very eager for your feedback. You can provide that feedback in lots of different ways. Yeah, you can email us at notsogentlereminder at gmail.com. You can slide into our DMs on the gram at notsogentlereminder. Tell us about a time that you had a canary or a fever. You can call us at 917-426-6908 and tell us what you'd like us to cover, any questions you have, any products you want us to review, or how we can make this better for you. Definitely see our show notes for links and our website, notsogentlereminder.com, for episode transcripts. And as a reminder, we did split this medical episode about fevers in babies less than 60 days into two parts, so stay tuned for the second part. Here comes our disclaimer. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. This podcast does not represent the opinions of our employers. It is purely for education and entertainment. Every child and every family is unique. If you are experiencing a medical emergency, please call 911. If you have specific questions about the care of your child, please be in touch with their doctor. 